Hello and welcome back to the Master of None podcast. I am Stephen, your host, and I'm joined by the two regular rugby crew, that is Westy and Sam. We are back for more Six Nations. Round three is in the books. Uh, we'll get stuck into the action as always. But first of all, we'll check in with the boys. Westy, how are you? You're wearing a hat indoors. Is it cold or are you just going for style? No, it's just my new style. You know, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna wear sunglasses next week as well. You know, because I'm just that kind of guy. I'm wearing a hat and shorts. I feel like that's a that's a new look. That's that's, yeah, your that's body a good, doesn't know what's going on. It's a good hipster look, you know. And I feel like that's the way I'm going with the beard and the hair. Like it's only a matter of time. You're so you're so underground. It's so impressive. You know, yeah, you're, I know. You're probably it's, listening to bands that don't even exist yet. People look at me and like, who's that cool hot twenty uh, one year old? You know, I could totally be nineteen. You know. Sup with the whack PlayStation <laughs> sup. <laughs> Look at you and like, Mac really let himself go. <laughs> yeah, sure they do. I Just wish. As, you, as you brought that up, Mac and Jordan Duggan's commer- or, uh, ad for that uh, new gear is fantastic, by the wow. way. That is, it. it's, oh, have you not, you're not on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the two of them are just made for TV. They're brilliant. Uh, we'll show it to you after Wesley, but it's hilarious, of course. Um, how was your weekend, Wesley? Um, my weekend was all right. Uh, it was quiet enough. I had to work late Friday evening, uh, so I didn't do much. And then I had no match this weekend. So yeah, it was just a quiet weekend. Uh, watching rugby was out for dinner Saturday night. Uh, didn't do too much yesterday. Just you know went to the gym and relaxed. Yeah, it was a nice quiet weekend for me. Out for dinner two weeks in a row, Sam. Uh, unbelievable how do the other half live huh how do the other half live and he had a sensational brunch on saturday uh, i did have a lovely brunch lovely brunch uh, on saturday in the company of one dennis buckley not really he was nearby and we kind of looked over our menus like Ooh, what's he ordering? he got he got the eggs, eggs. <laughs> of course the protein of course it all makes sense uh where'd you go poppy's eat Oh, yeah! Throwing a curveball out there. Nah, I like it. I love it. I'm, I'm big. It's, it's spacious. It's food. It's, it's wholesome. It's family friendly. I'm big on a poppy seed. As you can tell, Sam's hard to please. It's food. <laughs> it's food. <laughs> it's edible. I'm going to say good food. <laughs> uh, raving review there from Sam. Uh, Sam, how was your weekend apart from uh, food? Uh, yeah, well, speaking of food, uh, got a Sakura takeaway added to the list of quality takeaways. More and more, we we are we're in the the Garden of Eden here in whatever direction of Galway we are. South Galway, hello, uh, west, uh, west, east. South. We're east. How are we east Southeast. and on the coast at the same time? We're east. We're in Galway Bay, Bay, you gobshine. Ah, of course, of course. Secure. Uh, I've. I think I've had it once. Yeah, it's good. I, I. It's. Um. It's not. It's pretty affordable, right? It's not expensive. Look, if you get as many sides as I do, it it, it, it racks up. But uh, I got. I got a, whatever the drunken version of a pad thai is. They had two pad thais on the menu, and one was like called drunken something, and uh, it was just spicy pad thai. It was quality. And then my partner got a katsu curry, which I got to finish because it was the heftiest collection of chicken of all time so i was very very impressed i will say that is that is one of the joys of uh, having a girlfriend is that you know they rarely ever finish their meal out and normally that just means more food for you um sometimes they take it home but i'm always arguing against that point like no don't bring it home be a waste i'll just have it now (laughs) you know what i mean it all makes sense in my head uh yeah secure i never really i only been once i haven't really given it i'm not a huge i mean chinese probably like third or fourth on my list of takeaways if i was going takeaways depends on my mental state chinese is first on my hunger by far but it sagora is not dirty enough for my hungover chinese that was a was a good quality tasty meal 
it was a kind of an Asian uh, fusion-y sort of thing. It wasn't all just Chinese stuff. It was a mix. Uh, I got And we got some gyozas to start, just dumplings by a different name, quality stuff. None of the food you've mentioned is Chinese. Katsukuri no. is Japanese, Pad Thai is Thai, and gyozas are Japanese. Yeah, there was. You know. There's also some Chinese stuff on there. There's a Vietnamese portion of the menu. There's there's it's 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 a Asian street food sort of generic Asia. You know the one at, at Westy. Yeah, you guys know more than others. Um, I was back home this weekend. I hadn't been home in a while. I won't be home again for a while. So went home and saw all the family, which is good. Uh, I said just not great for. You don't get to really watch the rugby, you know what I mean? Um, which is fine. It's not necessarily a complaint, but uh, you just kind of miss a few things. But speaking of the rugby, we will get stuck into uh, the Six Nations. Actually, we'll throw to the fantasy, which is still going. Uh, me and Westy are just... Well, I actually forgot about this weekend, and Westy didn't. But Westy also sucked nearly as much as I did. Um, so it shows you how good we are at this game. But um, we'll go for, we, have a, we have a clear top five... Uh, no ties or nothing. Um, in fifth place, we have Stain Alive, which is a nice play on the last name Stain, uh, on 1,179 points. Uh, fourth is still Yippie Trier, Mother Rucker, which, I mean, if we were giving out prizes for best names, you, you win. Uh, they're on 1182. Anne and Owens combined 15 are on 1186. Second, knocked off the top spot, bottom, but not for long. Uh, on 1195, and breaking into the 1200s, we have Asti um, on 1244. So with two rounds to go, uh, it's still very tight, all within 100 of each other in the top five. Uh, me, maybe me and Wesley will have a miraculous round four and five. I think we probably need to average 700 points, maybe, <laughs> to get even close. But who knows? We I, will see. But thanks to everyone again for playing. I didn't even do it, and I'm nearly doing as well as you, so... You're not... Yeah, if you... If you entered just didn't play, you'd only be five spots lower than me. If you, if you had zero points. That's how bad I'm doing. Uh, but again, I didn't even really try for this week. Uh, yeah, best luck to everyone in round four. Uh, we'll start with Scotland and England, uh, which took place Saturday evening in uh, Murrayfield. Scotland come out on top, 30 points to 21 over England. Fourth year in a row beating England in the Six Nations. I think it's five in the last six, is it? Uh, Scotland have had England's number the last couple of years, which... I wouldn't say it's super surprising. I think most of us would expect Scotland to win that game on Saturday. Four in a row, obviously, is very, very impressive. Hasn't been done since God knows. They did say the year. I forget what it was. 1892, I think they said. Yeah, if it starts with an 18, it's been a long time. Um, I think that's fair to say. Uh, but Scotland, well worth the victory. Uh, started off sluggish, 10 nil down. I feel like Scotland teams of the past maybe would have succumbed to that pressure a little bit. Um, I don't know if that's maybe a more mature Scottish team now or maybe an English team that isn't uh, super great at scoring a ton of points but Scotland come back uh, lead at half time 17 points to 13 and kick on again then second half and score uh, another 13 points um, Westy I think we'll get into the game a little bit but we have to shout out Duhan van der Merwe uh, a hat trick that's five tries in the last two games against England um, he just kind of haunts their nightmares a little bit and he is uh, obviously a fantastic player where can we talk about maybe where he is in rankings of maybe world wingers at the moment? Because I think there's probably a lot of more well-rounded players than Duhan van der Merwe, but you can't deny his impact on a game, a big games as well. And he just seems to have that knack of being in the right place at the right time, doesn't he? I think yeah, I think so. I mean, first off, I think he's a fantastic finisher. Um, he, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, finisher in a broad sense because 
Um, even for the, I think this is it the second try. He gets the ball quite far out, and he has a lot of work to do. Gets around one lot. Like for a big guy, he has unreal pace. You know, you're not used to seeing quite a great marriage of size and speed. Um, and his, it's, it, I think, is his, his determination running with the ball is outstanding. Again, for the first try. He goes right through three or four guys and, and, and powers over the ball or powers over the line. I think one of the kind of underrated um, aspects of his game is his link-up play, particularly his relationship with Finn Russell. I mean, he said after the game that he knew Finn was going to kick into that space. So he he brought, he started his run quite far back and um, the ball bounces right for him. So, um, And again, even the, the offload from Hugh Jones, I think for the second try, like that offload comes out of nowhere, but... Uh, Vandermeer is ready. He, he's he's able to kind of turn on the afterburners quite quickly, you know. So um, his his vision and his positioning and his link up play with his team. He's not just some guy who hangs out on the wing and gets the ball and runs in over the line. Um, he is involved in the build up play. Okay, maybe he doesn't roam quite as much as we're used to, as much as a, a low or a Hanson, but um, he is kind of always ready, always linking up with, it, with, his, with his inside man. And as I say, his, his ability once the ball into the hand is, is, is unquestionable. Um, where does he rank up uh, in terms of nationally? I think he's definitely one of the best wingers, um, definitely one of the best wingers in the Six Nations. Uh, when you move to the rest of the world, it gets a little bit more complicated because if your game plan is going to move, um, if you're going to put him in Ireland system, let's say, where he had to roam more, does he have the fitness to... to, to to constantly move backwards and forwards from side to side. I'd say he probably does, but it's not in Scotland's game plan. So you don't kind of see as much um, maybe of what he's able to do. Um, I feel like he fished Scotland out of kind of some rough holes uh, at the weekend. Um, so again, I think that was kind of the difference in in, in the Scotland team to, to England. Scotland had these moments of individual brilliance. They had players who were willing to step up and say, I'm going to be the difference. I'm going to be the guy who does it. And they had multiple instances of that happening. So um, that works really well in the Scottish system. If you were to put him into an England system where it's much more of a kicking game, then probably his game plan doesn't, doesn't marry to that quite so well. But I, I would say he's, still, he's one, of the, one of the most exciting wingers in the world. Um, best is a broad term, but i definitely say he's up there. Yeah, Sam, I think that's probably the uh, way describes it well there. He is one of those players, though, where... He is must-watch TV to a certain extent. When like when he gets the ball, you can see everyone in the stadium stand up a little bit. Like that that second try, this the entire Scottish the, the entire of the Scottish fans they recognise that he's got a bit of a gap here, and they all just stand up and they know something maybe cool is about to happen. He's like the the you know the Asian guy in the Simpsons who hasn't done anything yet. You know what I mean? Like, you mm-hmm. know he's going to do something cool. We haven't even seen yet. But he, he is he's that type of player where he is. He's he's box office. Yeah, and I think. Wesley's right where he wouldn't necessarily fit into an Irish system right now, but I think that the Irish system was adapted when Mac really uh, came onto the scene because for a good while there, it was low doing a lot of that coming off the 10 stuff from the left wing and the right wing was holding the width. And now we have two roaming wingers because I think they wanted to incorporate Mac. If you take Duan van der Merve and you offer him to any international coach, I, you'd be hard-pressed to leave him out of any starting 15. I think if you gave him to Andy Farrell, he would push either Mac or low. He would really push them for that start and birth because you have so much potential to use that sort of player and you develop a system around getting him on the ball. Scotland have done that in various ways. Their centres, their centres are extremely good. They play, they link up really well, but a lot of their game plan is to get wide and to beat that blitz defence out wide and to get Duan in open space. And I, I don't think that there's any international coach there who wouldn't really consider dropping one of their two wingers for him because he's that athletic stature type of player that is just effective in rugby there's you can be as come off the wing and 
and intricate as you want. If you have a lad of his size and power, we see it to a slightly lesser extent with a low, you know, size and power on the wing. It just it equals tries, it equals scoring, and that's the end of the game, the name of the game. So I I think that yeah, he's probably not in terms technically one of the the top three, but he's not too far away from. Him. He's definitely in uh, in the Six Nations. He's he's up there, but in terms of you know just being as useful and playing and needing to do and doing what he needs to do, I don't think there's anyone better. Like he's he's that that level. I'm not going to compare him in terms of his ability to a John Loma, but in terms of stature and physicality, like there's no substitute in that on the wing. Wingers traditionally aren't that size. And if you put that pace and power into someone that size, they become so useful and so important to a team plan, team game plan. So if, if he was Irish or if he qualified for Ireland, we would probably look at what we're doing with our wings and change it and maybe go back to that right winger holding it, scoring a lot of tries out wide and the left winger being the one that does a lot of the playmaking stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, great point. I, I was thinking Loma as well. I didn't didn't know if it was sacrilege to it, mention that it's name. It's so hard to compare anyone to Loma. <laughs> I know, yeah, no, you're not saying he's as good as John Loma, no, but no. Uh, yeah, like in terms of running people over, he's up there. Um, Wesley, how would you rate the Scottish performance? Because a lot of the tries did come from broken up play and not necessarily great passages of, of like breakdown play from the, from their own ball in hand. Um, how did you rate their performance? Um, I rated pretty strong overall. Um, Again, they went 10 points down quite early. Um, and even the first try England score is quite quite clinical, quite razor sharp right through the line in under the posts. Um, I think it would have kind of been easy for Scotland to see that as kind of, um, not to die off because it was too early in the game, but to kind of to make more out of it than it was to kind of see it as this task of building back in. But um, what, I, what I think about Scotland's performance overall is, is kind of what I said earlier, where I think they have a pretty good game plan, as Sam said, to move the ball wide, exploit the space. If you're going to play that rush defence, you're going to leave space behind you. No better man than Finn Russell to exploit it. Um, I think uh, Ben White was also one of the highest kicks from hand or something in the Six Nations so far, which is really interesting. Uh, or was it the weekend anyway? I'm not sure. But in that game, certainly quite a lot of kicks from hand. So I think they have this very kicking game between the 9 and 10 that they're able to, to build on. And again, as I say, I think they have individuals in that team who want to be the difference. You know, okay, you talk about how Hugh Jones and two below two, they link up really well, but you see the absolute work rate out of both of them because they want to be the difference. Scott Cummings, another one who wanted to be the difference. Hugh and Ashton, when he came on, like arguably one of the best hookers of the round and he only played half the game, you know, like these guys, I think it's, I think it starts with a really good game plan and it starts with a, a mentality of, you know, I'll get onto this more when we talk about Ireland, but wanting to be the difference in the team, wanting to be the guy to get up there and steal the ball. Um, I think they were probably pretty well prepared for England. Again, I say exploiting that rush defence that comes up, getting around it, getting behind it. Um, I thought Finn Russell was obviously unbelievable, pulling the strings 100% off the tee. Um, they also adapted well. You know, Tupelotra comes off quite early uh, in the second half and and Cameron Redpath is, is on real when he comes on so I think they're uh, they've built I don't, I don't say they have massive depth but they, they've they've built slasher building depth and I'd say that they're they want to play rugby they want to get out there and put their stamp on the game um, and I think that's that's what's really impressed me about them in this six nations is despite the disappointing world cup each and every Scotland player almost to a man looks hungry to get on the ball and make a difference for the team I think that's that's something you can't really coach. That comes from like either years of playing together or getting the right individuals involved who want to be that difference on the pitch. 
Yeah, and you, you know they could be looking at a grand slam if it wasn't for the the France game, um, which is a shame. But uh, Sam on the other side, then England, they, like they scored twenty one points. Their first try was actually lovely work. They started the game really well, but just kind of stuttered and, and couldn't really get into gear. Um, more of the same for them, or do you see them making some progress? I I find it hard to put my finger on what they're trying to do. They more carries, more meters, more passes, uh, more attacking minutes than Scotland, but it. On the eye test, it didn't look cohesive. It looked very like what Borthwick has done for years. I I said it a couple of weeks ago that I thought Marcus Smith was kind of a blessing in disguise for Borthwick because he didn't have to stray too far away from what he likes to do, and which is I mean, that George Ford at 10 playing the way he likes to play, uh, bringing it through kind of one-up runners, one-hits. I I don't think he's going to expand too much from that. I think his idea bringing in Felix Jones defensively, they were going to just try and become harder and harder to beat really beat you up front and that was pretty much all I saw from them their team selection is a bit strange they've gone with like a mix of you know some good young players who you're kind of bringing through you saw the try that was scored was brilliant line you see a couple of other young lads uh, in and around the squad and then you have some people there that maybe it's just you know at kind of Six Nations too too far like the front row you have Dan Cole there who's got to be about 95 at this stage and he's still packing down they, pretty hot though pretty, pretty hot, hot. Pretty, pretty sexy yeah. But I, sexy, man. I don't see what they're trying to gain from it. I don't see a coherent progression or an idea of progression away from what they're doing and away from that kind of Borthwick style of rugby, which doesn't it wouldn't be in, I wouldn't be enthused if I was an English fan. I think that they will become harder and harder to beat as the years go on under Borthwick. They will bring through some players, but I don't think they're going to significantly expand their game plan. Even with the Finn Smith coming in or Marcus Smith coming in, I don't think he's going to allow them to just run riot and be the players they are. The way that you see uh, uh, Finn Russell have the freedom at Scotland to, to pull the strings the way he likes to and to bring players in. I think Finn Russell has that that trust in Townsend, whereas I don't think Borthwick's going to want to tend to do that. And Ford is kind of the, the safe option for him. I thought Ford was OK executing a game plan that I didn't think was inspired and that as an English fan, if you were an English fan, you'd be annoyed about, you'd be bored of, you'd see a ceiling of progression, even with the good young players they have coming through and some of the world beaters, the Genges and the Otoje still there. There doesn't look like there's much under Borthwick, except for getting much more strict in what he likes to do and making it much harder to beat them. I think Ireland will struggle against them in Twickenham, even though they're crap. Because I think that that's what they're going to do is they're going to become a bastard team to play against, and Twickenham's a bastard place to go. Yeah, um, it is. It, I will say, like you know, he's a year. He just had over a year in the job. Borthwick. It was really what eighteen months with Farrell, two years before he really started to hum. Now I think there was more, much more obvious direction of what Ireland were trying to do under Farrell and what Borthwick is trying to do. Mm. But I suppose it's probably worth keeping them, you know, give them at least another year before we, I suppose, start maybe calling for heads a little oh, bit. I'm not calling I, for heads. Sorry. Wes. I was going to say, I don't know if there was a lot more positive draw in the camp. I remember people calling for Mike Cat's head after our first Six Nations under uh, Mike Cat as attack coach and Andy Farrell. Um, I went to the, like, we had COVID, I suppose, which slowed us down a little bit in our development. But, you know, I, I don't think I don't think there was positivity around the Irish camp for that first twelve months. I think it took a long time for Farrell to to build up uh, the goodwill. Sorry, Sam. Well, I just don't think I I Farrell was quite an unknown in terms of a head coach because he he had only he'd been the defense coach and he'd been an assistant coach. Whereas like with Borthwick, you have uh, a a host of ex- 
experience, it, in, including the Leicester job, where he hasn't strayed too far away from what he's been doing and what he is currently doing. With Farrell, we were kind of hearing from the camp, oh, there's more to come, we're learning, it. it's coming, it's going to come, it's going to come. Whereas no one in Borthwick saying, oh, we're nearly there. It's They're all kind of, Borthwick is just coaching how Borthwick is going to coach. And, you know, the Leicester job was brilliant and he, did, he, he made him them a very very tough opposition to play against but they also didn't have Saracens in the league the year they won it and Saracens had been dominant in that league so I I wouldn't be considering Borthwick I wouldn't I wouldn't as an English fan think that with all Borthwick has done in his career as a coach with the current setup that he has there with the way he's playing now and with the lack of any kind of discussion to the contrary that it was going to suddenly change the way under Andy Farrell we were constantly hearing how it wasn't coming off but there was something in the in the mix and just before COVID there had been a tried a couple of things and everyone was talking about how good the atmosphere in camp was and how that it just wasn't reflecting on the pitch none of that's coming out of England right now and that's why I don't I don't have the belief that Borthwick is just going to up sticks and change his entire coaching philosophy next year because Marcus Smith is fit it just to me it doesn't scream what any professional coach would do yeah, it's. I think it, 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 he is who we think he is. I'd say, but I mean, time will tell. I suppose. I. I don't know. Yeah, it's. It's. It's tough to really look at anything and be like, oh, as if I was an English fan, which you know may hell freeze over before that ever happens. But um, it would be hard to see like where is the hope coming from? Where is the what's the future here? Where is the where's the glory coming from? But they have some lovely the young players. Like even in this. Oh, there's no doubt in the talent. Like even like Furbank played. Like I think Furbank's a really good player. Do you know what I mean? I don't think he's a Furbank, player. Theo Dan, Cunningham South, uh, Finn Smith, yeah, Boso. Like there's some brilliant young talent there, and you'd love to see them given the reins. If 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 Porto's going to do what he's doing right now, which is you know, if you want to be hypothetical and say that he's kind of writing off the Six Nations with an idea of implementing further his systems because he got he got through into the the uh, third fourth playoff in the World Cup. You know, last Six Nations we were told it was a write off fitness sort of thing. Then he got into the third fourth players in in the World Cup because of a series of handy enough matches and matchups. If this is a continuation of the implementation of his plans, and that is to do with these young lads, I don't see the Dan Cole reasoning. I see, you know, if you're going to just up and change, up and change now, because you're bringing some of these players through, and the last thing you want to see is them implemented into a system that is poor for them, because there's skill sets there, and a lot of them, there's some really nice rugby being played in the Premiership by young players at the moment. We've seen that in the Champions Cup this year, how effective some of these younger players are, and how kind of deep the stocks are in England right now of really quality and good ball playing players but it doesn't seem to be reflected in anything that Borthwick's trying to do and you know it I don't want to pigeonhole everyone but he's a he's a forwards coach by trade so that's what he's going to probably concentrate his game plan on and we saw that at Leicester that's exactly what he did and that's what he's going to do now I think I don't think he's going to suddenly give up his entire coaching philosophy and try and change in the middle of the biggest job he's ever going to get yeah no fair points um, what you said there makes me really look forward to the day Finn Russell ever as a coach because that would be a good team to watch uh, won't, won't be very good defensively but they'll be skillful uh, getting up at 6 in the morning to go I know I know I know but you know we can dream uh, we'll move on to Sunday's game France-Italy the most controversial game of the weekend uh, a draw which is rare 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 in the in the Six Nations 13 points apiece uh, France led 10-3 at half time Um uh, red card for Dante, which no one is uh, arguing with. And yeah, unfortunately, I missed this. I, I watched the first sixty minutes of the game, and then I had to go to a radio show, so I missed. The, when I left, uh, France were thirteen three up, I think, or thirteen six up. Um, 
and it didn't really look like Italy were going to do it but then of course they they score a try Garbisi slots a very very impressive conversion and then France trying to play out of their own 22 give away a penalty and then chaos uh, unfolds so uh, I suppose let me I'll break it down and you guys can let me know if I'm wrong or right uh, penalty awarded clock in the red Garbisi has the 60 seconds on the clock around 20 seconds left and the ball falls off the tee which i don't know how that happened because it was in a roof yeah there was no no wind uh so bad placement so perhaps going. yeah that's what i was thinking maybe if, if there is sixty thousand people blowing on something maybe it would uh affect it but um yeah ball falls off the tee uh obviously panic sets in a little bit but the french players start to charge a little bit towards the ball which is illegal referee says you cannot charge and then uh while setting the ball back up another french player tries to make a charge again told to go back four seconds left garbisi pulls the trigger hits the post and france kick it out for a draw now as i think there was a lot of discourse on twitter yesterday the laws are the player for a penalty French players should have been 10 metres back, hands on their hips, don't make any noise, don't make any movements. They didn't do that. Even if the ball falls off the tee, they're not allowed to charge forward or flail their hands. At least three players, I would say, did that from the French, from the French team. Um, my question is to you, Westy, why was this penalty not retaken? Should it have been retaken? And if if, if so, why was it? And moved up 10 yards, according to the law. And moved up 10 metres, yeah. Yeah, it, it probably should have been retaken. Uh, I think it was that ref's first or second Six Nations game. I actually thought he had a, a pretty decent game overall. Um, first off, like I think a lot of times in penalties, players shuffle around. You know, nobody like as the law says, you have to stand still with your hands by your sides. Very few people stand perfectly back and still while while penalties have been taken, right? And when the ball falls and someone takes a step forward and they get warned, I'm like fair enough like the ball is on the ground like he's taking a step forward grant when they put the ball, it's the second time second time a player moves towards him joining up i'm like that should be retaken um but in fairness the italian team themselves haven't said that uh, garabisi apologized to the italian people and the team for missing the kick i thought it was a very mature thing to do he's still only 23 um he nailed that touchline conversion um 10 minutes before that so we know that kick is in his wheelhouse he got the pressure kick against wales two years ago to beat them for the first time and god knows their first win in however many years um i think it's a tough one right because if you if you'd given italy the draw before the game they probably would have taken it like a draw away in france like we need to put this in context you can say france aren't playing that well as much as you want you're away to a better team you're away to a team that put 60 points on you six months ago and and you put in this performance and again it wasn't even like it wasn't like italy had the game of their lives you know it wasn't like this perfect pristine performance but what it was was an unbelievable goal line defensive set and everyone said it including me that God, that's energy zap and stuff. How are they going to keep it up? But nobody mentioned the fact that that is morale killing for France. When you're camped on an opposition line for that long and you can't get over and you're hoofed back and have to come back and try again, um, that combined with the red card, like it's Italy drained France and then took the opportunity that came up. Now they've two penalties in the first half they probably should have kicked. It's a fantastic kick at halftime from the halfway line from the young scrum half to, to get them on the board. Um but yeah, like I do think the conversion probably should have been taken. But you know, there are other. It's easy to focus on that because it's the last roll of the dice. But there are other parts of the game where Italy probably should have been better and probably should have been able to 
capitalize on the small bit of territory that they had, particularly um, well, very early in the first half and then maybe more so in the second half. Um, but look, I, I think Italy, this isn't even, I'm, I'm really not trying to be condescending. Italy should be really proud of staying in that fight for so long and putting themselves in position to win at the end. Getting a draw in France, they've never beaten France in France. That is a huge turnaround from six months ago. I think it, it is just killer in the way it happens because you can't help but focus on that last kick and think that was kickable. Carabisi can get that. There's there's circumstances around the kick as well that make it that little bit more dramatic. Um, but it was an excellent poach to get the penalty. Uh, Caparotto's try was brilliant. It was great hands from Garabisi and, and, and others down the line. Um, and like, I think it was a great performance. And, you know, I think Italy deserve... Well, they don't. Well, you deserve what you get, right? But like, they deserve performances like this. They deserve to get this close because they are improving. And I hope that performances like this continue to quell the whole kick them out of Six Nations malarkey because their under twenties beat France under twenties the night before. They pushed a better team to the last kick of the game, um, and we're just they just have no luck at all. I, I feel sometimes Italy just no bounce of the ball really went their way, including that ball falling off the tee. Yeah, the ball fall off the tee is, is the real conspiracy theory because how the hell did that happen? But um, just on the kick again, because you're totally right. And like again, we, we're not arguing the point that Italy, there's 20 you know moments in the game where they can swing the game back and forth for, for both teams. But again, I feel like rugby suffers a little bit with referees almost coach the players rather than penalising them. And it happens all in the ruck all the time. But like, the French player should know the laws there. Like, even if the ball does fall off the tee, you don't charge forward. They do it twice, and the referee just tells them not to. Like, Sam, is that? Uh, do you feel like referees do that too much? Should that, should that have just been instant? You should know this. We're penalising you. Uh, I think the idea that the refs coach players has become a real big talking point. I think Jackman brought it up a couple of weeks ago, and it's now on the tip. Like most things in rugby, Jackman brings it up, and then everyone decides that it's like. Uh, it needs to be talked about constantly. I don't think this is the same as what he talks about with the coaching players. Uh, there are times, I think Sexton made a point of selling the ref to stop coaching them and start penalising them and the ref agreed and did penalise South Africa at one point. Uh, and that's, it's all stemmed from that sort of thing. In this case, I think the ref should have penalised the second man. I think telling him to go back is fine. I don't think it would have been coaching if it, if just to tell them to go back. I think it's just... It's the last throw of the dice. The ball falls over. Why, but it's, why is that not? Why is that okay for the first time? It's against the law. It's against yeah, the it's law. against the law. But I think it's because the ball falls over and it's just a moment of confusion and it's not really affected the game. The ref could, if he, if he wanted to, just say, "Look, just go back uh, and then give Garbisi more time or whatever he's going to do." I I think the fact that it's when it's after he's told one to go back the second time, I think that's when you punish because in rugby. In rugby, you do allow stuff. Every ruck, every breakdown is just lawless. And in this case, it's the last minute. The ball falls over. People are confused as to what to do. At some point, someone has to address the fact that there's a water carrier on the pitch and shouldn't be on the pitch as well. So there's there's a whole host of things wrong there. And the ref should be penalising it, yeah. But I don't agree with the idea that refs are coaching too much because if refs stopped coaching and started penalising everything, we wouldn't be watching rugby. It would be the most boring sport on the planet. I think leave it, hands away, all that stuff. I don't think it's getting to the point of coaching i think when it's overly done or when it's overly helpful or teams are infringing a lot and they're being led away with it then yeah it starts to become a thing but after conic beat monster the last day it was a constant discussion around all oh, the ref was coaching the ref was coaching the ref was coaching i was like if he doesn't the game is going to suck for both sides because that's what happens so in this case i think ref probably should have 
punished it. Uh, definitely the second offence. The first one's just a moment of confusion. I think that they didn't really impact on anything. Garbisi could have laid it up. Ref could have reassured him that he had time. But then when the second one happens, it should be it should be punished, yeah. Yeah, I agree with the Rooks because it's, you know, a player in a Rook, it, they can sometimes tell themselves, I'm sure, if they're legal or not. You know what I mean? Like, that's there's there's a lot of moving parts there. But for the for the for the penalty one, you probably should know that. I, I don't know. I'm I'm good, but I'm I don't just, necessarily think this one's coaching. I think the refs just like just stop, just go back. You know. Yeah, but again, why should why is he not just penalising it? That's what I'm saying. Like for that, that's very clear, black and white. A rook sometimes is quite a grey area because you know someone's foot might be slightly off the ground. They're not actually supporting their body weight. Someone might not be through the gate. All that sort of thing. Whereas this one is like, you know, like, because it definitely impacts Garbisi. He does, it, it makes him panic more. 100%. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah, so that, so it is impacting the outcome. In my in my, my yeah. opinion, it is. The first time, but I think a ref should have, I think the ref should have, instead of, like you're saying, coach and saying, oh, go, just go back. I think the ref should have just reassured him that he had time and it was okay and that what had happened was illegal. But I don't think he needed to punish that first one because that's, it's a confusing set of events. When the ball falls over there, you know, You've seen in the past where players have tried to go lift it up in time, put it back on, but they've been charged down. You lose your head. It's it's wherever it is. It's the second one, I think, that that's where you should be punishing because you've already just given a warning. You give warnings all the time in rugby, you know? No, I, I agree. I, 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 I know that part's fair. It's more just the fact that it's... Uh... The first one, the first one, the ball is on the ground. So Garby is not going to kick it. Therefore, you're not going to put him off. So I think saying get back is fair because you remind them that this is still live. But the second one... We make the run up. Your man takes a couple of steps forward, and that is that is the breach of the law, really. I think I think the initial one is slightly a grey area. The ball falls off the tee. Yeah, you still can't move, but there's confusion everywhere as to what's about to happen. So there's but no harm in It's it's not a grey area in the sense of the law, but in court, in typical rugby fashion, it has become a grey area because it's just so bloody. Confusing. But it clearly is a grey area because the kick wasn't retaken. Minus both yeah, that's, that was so, well, that was a mistake by the ref then. But, but the letter of the law, but, it's a mistake by the ref. Yeah, but, that's, law, that's, but that, you can't argue that part. Laws in rugby get further grey area and diminished because we have the advantage rule, and we play that. You can just say, "Oh, that was advantage. I wasn't going to punish him. I should punish him the second time." Or if he plays the advantage, that that's the the problem, the issue with rugby. I don't think this is necessarily a coaching the players issue. I think this is a ref kind of coming across a very unique situation and not knowing what to do and making the wrong decision in terms of the second person. The first, right, Wesley says the ball falls over. You don't know if it's live. You don't know if it counts as being kicked because if you're charging down a conversion and the ball falls over, you like we saw with Jack Carty last year, you still have to try and kick it off the ground or do something. You can't. You don't get it. You, you know, so that that's where the confusion lies and i understand and and sympathize with that it's the second time where i think that yeah he should be punished and he gets away with it and i don't you know Gar, uh, westy said it was an admirable thing to do or i can't remember what honorable thing to do to to apologize to the italian people i don't think it was even warranted uh, I, I don't think it was warranted you're saying it's very mature of him to put to take the onus onto himself i'm not saying it was his yeah. fault at all sorry if, I, if that's Barry Sanders, I'm yeah no i Sanders. like i i understand where you're coming from but i actually just i think that like if i was him i should i would have gone I'm devastated uh, what, what's happened here. And then I would, if I was Italy, be asking for a few answers because there comes a time I, I've spoken at length about wanting relegation and promotion and Italy, you know, Italy are doing well this year. How long does that last if they don't get a win or two? You know, it's that was one of the wins that they should have been getting. A lot of their wins come against, you know, yellow card or red cards, controversial decisions, those sort of things happen. Well, not a lot of their wins because they don't have a lot of wins, but some of their wins there there's other circumstances around it, and this would have been one of them but they need to get a win or two because 
it's only two years of being nearly men without a win before they start getting talked about in the relegation conversation again. And that's I, I'm still in the idea that there should be relegation promotion, not axing them completely for South Africa, like some people suggested last year. But the whole idea of them being cheated out of a win here or being fecked over the opportunity to get the win, it doesn't sit well with me. I, I go back and forth on it because I'm also like I'm looking at their two well in my mind I suppose two results that should have been the opposite way it was in like I think Italy should have won yesterday and it was because of a decision and I think Scotland should have beaten France two weeks ago whatever it was and I agree other things could have happened in the game that could have also influenced that but I just think as well like decisions like that also cost our big moments in games they're on they're on equal par. But I feel like people don't look at the referee mistakes on equal power as a player mistake. And I don't agree with that. I, just, I think they're equal measures. I think Italy getting the opportunity to kick this was bad game management by France trying to play out when I think they should have taken the draw, even though that's such a pride kicking the balls. They tried to play out and gave away a penalty to kick up a penalty. Like, I, I, they, didn't have the, they didn't have that opportunity to win because they gave away that penalty. That's We know that rugby is more penalty friendly towards defences at the moment and I think France nearly fecked it up for themselves trying and I think that's a big issue in rugby of not just taking your guaranteed points it happens all the time you also see potential injuries because people are playing for pride in the 86th minute trying to get consolation tries and I think France where they're at being the basket case they're at at the moment should have just and licked their wounds and put it out and they nearly gifted it to Italy and it would have been a way bigger thing and they got away with murder I don't know. I think France nearly view a draw with Italy the same as a defeat to Italy. Yeah, and they, that's I think, I think if a draw works to France. It's worth nothing to them. Yeah, I think if it was any other team, they may have kicked it out. But it was the fact that it was Italy. I don't know. If that was Ireland, I wouldn't have wanted them to kick it out. No, I wouldn't have wanted them to. But I think France, are, like in the position they're in at the moment, they nearly gave it away because of what was poor play. Like they, they did. We're here arguing that Garbisi should have been given a chance to retake that kick. Yeah, but the it, French it, media are treating that like a loss. Like they're calling for Galtier's head. Like they, it would have the reaction would have been the exact same. They're not talking about the draw. They're talking about the disaster that was the match. Yeah, and that's they, they, they got are. booed off the pitch. But, <laughs> like I don't think it. W- I think it would have been way worse if they lost, which they probably should have, and they nearly gifted to Italy. I think it's, I think it's an a- issue with rugby, and we find it hard to really engage with the idea of just taking points because it's a championship of five games. It's very hard to do anything if you only take points from games. But France in that position were very, very unlikely. If you went into a betting man or a bookies or whatever, France were very unlikely to get a score there. And actually, because of defensive defenses being awarded penalties a lot more now, we saw in Super Rugby with the golden try rule. Everyone was booting as far away from their own try line as possible. No one was playing rugby. And that's what happened. And they nearly gifted a win to Italy. And if they'd gifted a win to Italy, it would have been way, way worse. And they realistically should have gifted the win to Italy. The, the kick was infringed upon. I I would disagree with that in terms of France won are still in, were still in with a chance to win the Six Nations yesterday if they won that game. Whereas a draw doesn't do anything for them. They're not going to win. And I know what you mean. Like statistically, yes, they were never going to go up the pitch realistically. But it's not impossible. And they had to give it a go. I think they have look, to give it a go. I mean, they don't have Endemac and Dupont, but look at uh, Endemac against the All Blacks two years ago. He literally started his own goal line and they scored a try off it. Like I think France believe that they're going to score. They believe they're good enough to run the pitch and score. They believe they're the far better team. It's just not firing. It's just not 
it's just not working for them. I don't know. Is it the change in coaching? Is it Dupont? Jolly Bear now is out for a couple of weeks that so we haven't confirmed exactly how long. But Six the situation, weeks. Dante's going to get banned because that's, you know, I think it's a, it's a second high tackle in, in as many games or, yeah, something like that's pretty close. So Did he get sent off against Ireland? No, that was uh, that was all that was Aldrich. That was Aldrich. Aldrich sorry. sorry. You're saying um, you're saying Wesley there, so like France believed that they can do it because of something that happened a few years ago, but it's not firing now. It's clearly not firing now, and they're clearly not the team that happened a couple of years ago. I yeah, think that that's what I'm talking about, bad management. I think that they're not playing it's the same with Connacht last week when we were talking about it. You know, we were playing shit and we should have taken our points at the time, we should have taken our points. And I think France should have looked their wounds because they were playing shit and have been playing shit these six nations because of all of those other circumstances. I'm not saying they should or they shouldn't. I'm just saying they wouldn't have. They're French. They will not concede. Well, unless the Germans have made. They won't concede at that point in the game. Do you know? Like they were World War II reference. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I always um, love a World War II They reference. believe they have the flair, the passion. They don't understand how Italy can take it to them. They think they're still the same team they were six months ago, and they're not. But that's a big management issue. That's a problem, not knowing where you're at, ability-wise. Well, but like, Galtier's not going to be like, hey guys, you suck. If it draws on the cards, take it. Like, come on. Like, you have to you have to try and win that game. You, like, you're saying Connacht. Connacht's playing a league where there's many, 18 games. This is a five-game league that they've already lost a game. A draw does nothing. I don't think France looked anywhere near scoring. All they were going to do was give away. I agree, game. but they might have. But they didn't, and that was that's what I'm saying. I, I know they I didn't, but they management. might have. I think it's poor management. I think it's an issue with rugby, where I think manage. I think teams don't manage the situations very well in rugby. I think there's a lot of this play for pride, play for scores, do things that I don't think are the right thing to do. Uh, I'm not a rugby coach, so I I could be, I'm probably going to be very much in the minority here. But I think France were silly to try and do what they did, and they should have been punished for it. Uh, and it would have been their just desserts. I think. I think I think I like, like again, Carberry, an- Carberry in the World Cup against Japan, and everyone was like, "Why is he kicking it out?" And it actually made sense, and it, uh, people were crit- critical of it until they listened to the justification of it, and it got us through to that quarterfinal that we got hockey in, like twenty nineteen. No, I, I'm I'm saying logistically, logically, you're right, but France were playing to keep their Six Nations hope alive. Like they're gone now; they have no chance of winning. A draw, they're still gone; they have no chance of winning. Yeah. They would if I they scored a try good. if they got up. I know they and they're but I I would rather as a supporter of a team if that was Ireland that kicked it out I'd be furious. I know logically you're right and analytically it's probably correct, but in this situation I think they had to go for it. And I think even when Garbisi missed the kick, whoever caught the ball was half thinking about going for it again. Yeah, he, got <laughs> he, touch. he was he was running. He got yeah, touch. Yeah, yeah, touch, yeah. yeah. So like I I don't I, I know what you're saying, but I think you're wrong in the sense that I think France were right to go for it. What what like it's defeatists to just kick it out in that situation. It is I think over a longer period, and by I know they're saying they're not playing well, but you're sort of admitting to yourself then that you're not playing well, and then you're sort of giving. Maybe they need to, your, to know that though. Like maybe they need to realize what how shit they're playing and how. Is that going to make them better? Is that going to get them out of their rut? Well, I think sometimes if you if you take what's on offer and you go and you lick your wounds yeah I think it can get you out of the road I think trying things that almost cost you a game against Italy it would have been historical game to lose I think that could be more detrimental uh, and they ended up they were very lucky not to I think it's a draw and a loss to Italy to, for France no, the team that they've been the last couple of years is, it's only, no I think it's I think it's what do you think Westy I, I agree with you I think, I think a loss to France is as good as a draw I think they 
they need to win that game to keep their staying top side, keep their pride alive. Um, it's the same result for France, whether it's a lose or a draw. Either way, they're not going to win the competition oh, now. And they have to face it the reality of, of the game. We'll open up to the to the listeners. We might put a poll out. Um, should they have or should they have? But we'll see. But uh, we'll finish up with uh, France. Galtier, is he in trouble? Westy, I'll throw it to you. How long has he been in the job? Uh, for just over four years, he got uh, he got the job. I think he was an assistant coach in the last World Cup with the eyes that he would take over after the World Cup, which he did. Um, so he's just he's, this is his fifth year, I think, depending on when you count from. They have two games left against. Uh, they still have to play England and they still have to play Wales. Yeah, I believe. Um, Wales next. If they if they win both of those games, does Galtier lose his job? Um. If they win both, I don't know. If you if you're to believe some of the French articles now, Galte is already gone. He's already lost his job. He's lost the room. Uh, I think his two assistant coaches are now coaching Stad, and they're doing great. So people are kind of deflecting, saying, "Where did the real kind of uh, coaching come from?" He's got a lot of fire about his um, mannerisms for interacting with the players. Apparently, he's quite difficult to deal with. Um, I was actually surprised to see him on the Sedation documentary. I thought he looked a lot better dealing with people than maybe I was under the impression. But apparently that aspect of it all has taken a hit in the changeover in coaching. Um, I think he's in trouble either way. Um, I would be very surprised, and I was wrong about Dan McFarlane, but I'd be very surprised if they sack a coach during the Six Nations. It's just There's just no point. Like it, It's not like a league that you can turn around. If you're going to sack somebody now, you're not going to... Um, not going to roll into anything, uh, any massive changes in two games. But um, I think he's in trouble. If they win the two games, I can see him being kept on for the summer and see how he goes. But um, it has been five years. They were promised a World Cup, but they didn't win. Um, so even from that perspective, he's on the back foot coming into the Six Nations. And this result, um, yeah, just throws the cat among the pigeons for him, I think. Yeah, it would be fascinating to follow it. Um, Spark a good debate there. Um, the pod, which is good. Um, who, we'll park that. Do they have Marisha? in the summer, Wesley? Sorry. Hmm? Who do they have in the summer? Uh, uh, I don't know what their fixtures are. Are they going to Japan or. Yeah, well, well Wesley, while you're Googling that, we'll, uh, we'll turn our attention to Ireland. Obviously, they were the first game on Saturday. They played, they welcomed Wales to the Aviva um, and they come out on top 31 points to 7. Fairly expected uh, result. Uh, led 17 0 at half time. Again, wouldn't be. I'd say. I'd say Ireland probably a C plus performance, maybe B minus performance uh, overall. Sam, have you noticed that Ireland tend to they tend to really raise their game against the top teams, which is a great trait. Uh, like, like France, that first game, they were really up for it. They were quite clinical. Italy, they never tend to play that great against Italy. They didn't play that great against Wales. Probably very expectant. Um, have you seen that trend too? And if so, do you think that's probably a good trend? That at least when the big teams come to town, they do raise their game. I think so. I, I was talking in work today and kind of saying, oh, they weren't great, but they managed to get it done. And I like the idea that we can win ugly, that we can win in different ways, that even if we're under the cash, we still get the Irish team can still get over the line. Uh, they're building squad depth. They, you know, they went into the Six Nations with quite an experienced team. No debuts, a couple of Six Nations debuts, uh, and then a debut now with Ali Yeager when he was added to the squad. So, uh, all in all, I think that they would have had eyes on this Six Nations, just given where we were at before the World Cup in terms of the last couple of years, and then uh, the squad that they brought to it. Being able to win ugly, getting some good experience in a couple of players, the likes of Frawley in there, changing up... Uh, changing up the different the dynamics, the different partnerships. 
all of those things, I think, lend themselves well. But you saw during the World Cup, even in the South Africa game, and for the last couple of years, they have been able to raise their game when it needs to. I think that they're quite an emotional bunch. I think they're very good at playing on the edge and looking like they're having fun, but also being very, you know, high in terms of their emotion and what things mean. And you can see that in the faces of some of the players. So I'm I'm glad to see them winning ugly instead of just wiping the floor with everyone. I think it adds far more to the character of the players and to the character of the team and to the Andy Farrell story if you get a host of different wins. If you walked every game, it'd be brilliant. It'd be it'd be such a great parade if we walked every game 50-0 and we got to a Grand Slam and it was the easiest thing ever. But the fact that you saw this young, written-off Welsh side coming in and putting it to us or Italy and it not working and them having to work it out and adjusting it and kind of player-led interventions in the middle of games, all of those things are positive for Ireland. So it wasn't the best game. It was enjoyable. I'm really enjoying seeing how they work things out and how they're playing and and how, you know, come Tyburn, very last thing that happens in the game is they get that fourth try. There was another pass on out wide. There's so many options. Players still keep believing. All of it, as you say, it's it's not necessarily down to injuries that uh, Farrell can kind of draw on the adversity, but he loves adversity and he loves using that and all these experiences of winning in different ways are all going to stand to them in the long run. Uh, and I think that this squad is being built and evolving and uh, being kind of m- being moved slower than mass exodus. But, you know, there there's some good new faces and young and more experience being brought through and they're still maintaining their, their winning standard that they have put in place for the last couple of years. Yeah, um, Wesley, you've confirmed there France have Argentina in the summer twice and then New Zealand in November. I'm sure they'll have uh, more fixtures to announce, but that's all they have. Is that away in New Zealand fight. or hosting? Oh, no, New Zealand's coming to Europe, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so they're going away uh, to Argentina in summer. Oh, I'd love if they threw in like a Chile or Uruguay or something as well for France A or France 15. That'd be classic. They should as well. Like, that's low hanging fruit there, but. Uh, back to Ireland. Uh, yeah, good point, Sam. Uh, Wesley, your thoughts on the Irish performance overall? Um, I agree with a lot of what Sam said uh, about winning ugly. Um, I think it's tough to really be too somber about it when we still got the five try or the four, the five try bonus point. Um, we still have maximum points from three games in the Six Nations, which is impressive. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody over the weekend and they were saying to me, oh, like it was a really disappointing performance. But I was like, yeah, but how many times have you seen the All Blacks play bang average for 70 minutes then running three tries in the last 10 and win a game you know it's like winning is a habit winning develops and finding ways to win and I think the more impressive fact is that we found a way to win I think um, Wales are nowhere near as bad as kind of this scoreline um, suggests I think one thing that they've really impressed me with is their ability um, to assess the game at half time and change their game plan and change the way that they um, I mean, maybe I'm not technical enough to talk exactly about what their attack or defence but um, to alternate, to, to adapt to a game that they're playing against. We saw it against Scotland. They came out in the second half. They were a completely different team. Okay, against England, they didn't score in the second half. But um, against Ireland, again, they came out and they worked us really well for half an hour. I think we were just good enough again to rise to the top and find the gaps. I think our bench was probably of a higher caliber than theirs. And I think that really uh, came true in the last 10 minutes, I think. Um one of the great things about Ireland, and I kind of I said a similar thing about Scotland, but one of the great things about Ireland is everybody's hungry for work, right? You see so many instances, like it's one of the things that you see that you see that you complain about a lot, especially as a Connacht fan or that says in a in a club game, is uh, players not getting over the ball, right? Someone looking for a forward to clean up, but 
in Ireland. The nearest man is the first one over the ball every time. Now, a lot of time it's Bundy, uh, but also great examples of Frawley doing it, great examples of, of, of James Lowe doing it, of, um, of Nash doing it. The nearest person that ball is getting over. It's not whose job is it. It's I'm nearest, it's my job. Um, and we see great kind of change and link-up play. We saw a lot of Frawley at 10, which I thought was really interesting, which takes pressure off Crowley and gives us, as you say, that extra playmaker in the line to kind of make things happen. Um, so I am happy with a lot of the way Ireland are playing and I'm happy we're just digging out at the end to get that win. But yeah, there, there are times, especially maybe early on, where our attack looked a little bit limp and lifeless. We looked like we were kind of trying to truck it up and see what happened. Uh, we lacked a little bit of creativity, but you know, then for the Frawley uh, and Burn tries at the end, like those guys take fantastic lines and space opens up because we draw that defence in and in and in and then simple hands or a simple pop pass gets us over the line. That, yeah, that Ty Burn try, there's a great clip going around on Twitter um, of, I think it's Dylan Lewis, uh, open to correction on that, the prop for Wales. Um, but it basically just follows him for, it's kind of, you, you, you notice him for about, it's probably 12 to 15 phases but Ireland just, it's exhausting trying to defend Ireland. Like, the, the constant, like, they go back and forth. So, like, the you know, Dylan, he makes a tackle and then, you know, he gets back up and he's sort of on the, the other side of the rock. He thinks he's getting a break and Ireland switched the attack and they're right back in. And he's actually the guy who kind of falls off Tigburn and he's the player who falls off Tigburn because, like, and again, it's nothing against him. He's just exhausted from the constant defensive work that Ireland are, are constantly asking the question. I don't know if that's Ireland's just overall fitness or the, the way they're playing is so, so impressive, but it just sums up Ireland's attack at the moment. I think Ireland's attack is built on them all believing in the system and just patience because like that, that phases, there was the point, you know, it's it's, it's heavily kind of shown on Twitter that when uh, Porter throws the boot away and I was, I saw it at the time and I was waiting for them to be able to get the boot back on and the ball was in play for about four full minutes. And that's a, that's so rare in rugby, but Ireland are so relentless in terms of their resetting. If it's not working, going a different way and keeping the ball alive, but also knowing when to take it into contact and just consistently going and going and going and being patient and letting it open up. And it's something that Leinster have done for years and they've had to adjust how they do it because of the new uh, goal line dropout laws and not being able to do it within the 22 but they do it across the pitch now and Ireland do it so well as well uh, and then breaks like the Baird break come or the or the burn getting the try they happen like you said because you highlight and you see players gassing and Ireland they they all know their job so well that they're all they're taking in turns you're on the ball it's a little bit easier to do things uh, there's not one particular lad who hits it up. There's a mix of them. It could be Henshaw, it could be Bundy, it could be Low coming off the wing, it could be any of the forwards, it could be a pop back. But they're so patient and they have such belief in what's happening. There's no, oh, five phases and it didn't work, so we'll put a boot through it. They just, they keep going, they keep going, they keep going. And every time they score, it's just adding more confidence to that, that it will work. Regardless, they will work it out. They'll see something, they will tire someone out, they'll find a way of getting through uh, and that is that is so testament to how they're playing at the moment and how everyone has just bought into the way that they're playing and all the players that have come into the system or come through or come around, like even the likes of Nash, workhorses, you know, he's not necessarily playing the exact same way he plays for Munster, but he's working effectively in this system. Yeah, I think we, as fans, really need to appreciate this kind of period of Irish rugby because they are a special group of players with a special coach, special coaching staff, because it's... Everything has come together, and now obviously you can look throw throw back the World Cup in our face. But that was one game, 
uh, one loss in God knows how many games, two losses, whatever it is. It's it's crazy stats. Um, a, a real special crop of players, and like as you said, it the system's so good that you can plug in a Calvin Nash, you plug in a Frawley at full back, and they don't really miss. You know, obviously it's not an A plus performance, but you're never going to have week in week out A plus performances. Um, and a lot of that comes from I think Andy Farrell and the culture he's created. So again, we have to appreciate that because. In five to ten years, who knows uh, what the, what the situation will be like. Speaking of Frawley, I thought he played pretty well. Uh, obviously, the type of games that coming in is, wasn't as high pressure as I think people have been using the Robbie Henshaw fullback, but that was a very different opposition at a very different time. Uh, and also, I think we totally overreacted to one game. Um, Frawley fullback, yeah, I thought, first of all, I was delighted to see, obviously, it's never nice to see Hugo Keenan injured. But we were so reliant on him. I'm glad to see another player play there just to get the as in I'm a bit more confident now that if, if we ever are missing him again that Frawley can step in. Um Westy, how did you uh, rate his performance at fullback? I thought it was very strong, yeah, very very good concern. It's his first start for Ireland. I totally agree with what you said. I think uh we've definitely left it a little bit too late to, to find out what we do without Hugo Keenan. But um no, I think he stepped up really well. As I say, there was a lot of instances of him slotting in at ten as well to kind of uh, help share the load with Jack Crowley, which I think is uh we said the same thing in in a France game with like Bundy stepping in at uh, at ten to share the load. Um so it, it's great to see again the, the flexibility and adaptability of players moving into those positions. It's not just go out there and be a carbon copy of uh, of Hugo Keane. Let's go out there and put your mark in the game and contribute how you can. And it's a great environment I think that Ireland have created where, you know, players have the freedom to do that. It's kind of like, um, you know, they talk about the the un, um, the unnoticed or the, un, the unsung work of rugby. And I think this Ireland team really, you know, praise the unseen work and then praise kind of encourage players to get involved and to do the work that, you know, might not necessarily get you on the board, but, you know, it, it pushes the team forward and creates opportunities for someone else. So, um, yeah, I thought Crowley was very impressive. Great from get a try on his, on his first start. Um, and it, it is good to know that, like, we do have options now at fullback if Keenan is away. We also, you know, is there space elsewhere in that team for, for Frawley as well? You know, that's a possibility that we might see um, later on in the tournament or, or, or in the summer, perhaps. Um, but I think he's a valuable addition to the squad, particularly his versatility makes him really, really, uh, really useful. But I think he should be really happy with his first cap. I don't think it was a, a perfect performance. You know, maybe you could say if we had Keenan a fullback, our attack would have been a little bit um, more sprightly earlier on. Um, but you can only play who's there. You can only play your game. And that's one thing I like. As I said, I don't want players coming on and being a carbon copy. I know Calvin Nash doesn't roam as much as Matt Hansen. I don't need him to. You know, you want players to go out there and express themselves and be the individuals. And not have this rigid game plan that by all accounts be had over with Joe Schmidt, where if you didn't fit in, they found someone who did. It's more about players who can contribute in multiple ways to the squad and to the way the team is playing, rather than playing this way, you're contributing and you're bringing your own stamp to it. I think with Frawley as well, uh, it's brilliant to have him to play the game that he played there, because at the end of the day, I do think that he's still fourth choice fullback for Ireland, you know, behind Mac and Jimmy O'Brien if they're fit. I think Frawley is probably fourth choice fullback after them, but I think he's such a good squad player and I think he's the perfect 23 in a 6-2 split. So that's why he's going to add such depth to this Irish team and to have a game like that in one of the three positions, potentially four if you wanted to stick him at second centre that he can cover. I think that that's huge for this Irish team and that's what I'm talking about, bringing, th- bringing through players and experience and making mo- more link-ups. Yeah, 100%. Um, I want to move on from the Ireland and the Six Nations because I do want to talk about Dan McFarland uh, and some more Ulster rugby stories uh, of players potentially leaving at the end of the season. But uh, it was announced um, 
start this week, I think it was. Yeah, Dan McFarland is leaving pretty much with immediate effect. He's gone from Ulster Rugby. Um, and I think, uh, remind me of the under-20s coach. His name has, has escaped Murphy. me. Richie Murphy will be the interim manager uh, for the rest of the season. Um, yeah, uh, I think, uh, like a lot of us, I think we saw the writing on the wall in terms of McFarland eventually losing his job. I, like you, Westy, didn't see it happening uh, mid-season. That is pretty rare, especially for rugby. Uh, but maybe a sign of how bad things had, had gotten up uh, in, in, in Ulster uh, with McFarland and the players. Results have not been good. General vibes around the club seem to have been poor. Uh, a lot of fans, very fans, or a lot of fans, very unhappy with uh, how the club is being run, um, and it all came to a head with McFarland uh, leaving. Um, yeah, I think. Any, I suppose any thoughts, Sam, on, on the announcement? Again, shocked. I'm sure, like it was so sudden, but this was coming, right? Oh, it was definitely coming. Uh, all accounts from there is that it's still not harmonious in terms of what's going on in the back room and uh, from the top down, but. It was a little bit like, you know, that that TV trope and maybe you have friends that did this when you were younger, but when lads are trying to get girls to break up with them so they don't look like the bad guy, that kind of seemed like what he was doing. It seemed to just be going nowhere. He seemed to be talking to the media, kind of like, please just sack me and give me this evidence because I don't want to be walking in the middle of a season. But he didn't seem interested. Uh, we spoke about what he said about the refs the last day. I think that he just, they had ended their tether. And even if it was such a huge financial outlay, I think that the repercussions of not getting rid of him at the time were just going to be so intense you talked uh, Gilroy was talking on TV the day after or the day before about how poor the atmosphere was around there we've heard rumblings about that from uh, Ulster based podcasts and fan media and stuff and they've they've got a better insight into those things they kind of have a bit more ear on the ground so it didn't seem good and I think that Ulster needed to cut their losses and it just needed to be the right time because they they can easily get top eight with a little bit of a bounce, a little bit of a boost. They have a hard to, I think they they still have to go away to South Africa. They've got some hard games. They've got um, Munster and Leinster towards the end of the season, but they have Dragons now this week. So it's the perfect opportunity. I I don't think Murphy's going to be in place because the Six Nations, the under 26 Nations is still ongoing, but they could still, regardless of what the atmosphere is like there, they ha- they're hosting Dragons. They're probably a weight lifted off their shoulders off the back of him leaving. Uh, it, is a perfect opportunity to just turn the tide and to try and get a little bit of positivity into the place. And even from from his point of view on a personal level, he's probably relieved at the m- moment because nothing was going right. There's a lot of hatred coming from fans. And once the fans turn on you, it's very hard to win them back regardless of what you do. And the fans there seem to have turned on him because of the understanding and the belief that the atmosphere underneath him in the club wasn't good. You know, And then they, they now have Murphy as an interim Looking long term, Murphy seems to be making noise that he'd like it. Uh, I had a bit of a brainwave the other day, thought that maybe Nigel Carlin could look at it as his first uh, head coach job. They could do as well as getting someone like Nigel Carlin in. But whatever they do now, by account, is going to be under quite heavy financial restrictions because they're not in a great place. And after Pitchgate from last year, they're even in a worse situation to talk of a lot of players leaving much like Connacht as well talk of talk of big amounts of players leaving which is not uncommon for the year after a rugby world cup either yeah um yeah look at once they got the artificial pitch it was on the right it was on the wall sam that's what that was their first mistake uh no yeah definitely 
Um, and I think a lot of some of the fans, you know, I think they have to look back on the overall uh, time as very positive. They made some great inroads. They had some great seasons. Um, probably should have won something over the last couple of years. They didn't, which is a shame. But try and look back on it fondly. Sorry, winning in rugby is hard. Like you grow, it is very hard. Yeah. You will grow watching soccer. There's four or five tournaments, four or five trophies you can win every year. When rugby, there's two, and realistically, it's one because one of them is against international powerhouse teams. So it's it is it's very you're limited on what you can win in rugby compared to soccer or GAA. There's a league every week for some reason. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, also, then uh, like a day later, um, Stuart McCluskey has been linked with a move to Bayonne in France, um, and uh, pl- plenty of other players as well being tipped to leave. Um, Westy, yeah, your thoughts? Surprised by this? Obviously, McCluskey's sort of always been the kind of fourth center in the Irish setup. Um, I don't know how many. I think he is seventeen or eighteen caps. I think uh, could be wrong with that. Maybe more, uh, but definitely not looking like he's going to be first choice anytime soon. Um, yeah, surprised by the the reports. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised, uh, given that McFarren has been let go. You know, you could definitely see like you can kind of uh, surmise from kind of what. Dan says to the media what the fans say about the club, and that that maybe there's other players who were unhappy with the regime the way that it was, um, that were you know, unhappy under McFarland and kind of wanted uh, to move on to pastures new. Um, also, you know, um, we heard it last season with Connacht had to cut, uh, you know, had to cut down their wage bill. I think Ulster are under the same kind of uh, um, uh, advice this year, so speaker players have to be let go. I think if you're Stuart McCluskey, you know. You know, obviously, that Ringrose and, and Henshaw are so well bedded in the Irish system. You look at how Bundy is playing, you, you see other guys coming in, other potential centres uh, come into that Six Nations squad, into the Ireland squad. You probably know that you're going to be fighting for, you know, Italy games or, you know, maybe maybe been a 23rd man the odd time. So um, how old is McCluskey? Is he, is he 31, 32? I don't know for sure. He's 31. Um, yeah, so getting on a little bit older, like, it's probably worth going abroad now and, and, and making your money. Um so yeah, I'm not so surprised because as we've heard, they have to cut their wage bill. But you would think if if the coach was really the problem, then players would now be excited to get somebody new in and kind of revamp the club. Um, it could be it could be a blessing in disguise, you know, especially if if Richie Murphy stays there because he's coached a lot of these guys at our twenties level. Um, he'll bring a lot of kind of uh, energy with them to the club. So if they do have an excess of an older squad and, and, and a, a a leveling up, let's say, or a moving into senior rugby for their kind of 20, 20 year olds, 21 year olds, 22 year olds, moving into more senior roles in the club. Um, now, Richie Murphy's only there until the end of the year, but I'm saying that we don't know what's going to happen after that. It, like, it, it could give them a great bounce, um, but it's definitely disappointing for us to see someone like McGlusty go. He's been, um, he has been always been one of the bright sparks of their team. He has often been a person that they look to to get them going forward when they haven't been going forward. Um, so, uh, I think for most people, I'd be disappointed to see him go. But again, as I say, like 31, 32, you really can't blame him for wanting to explore his career elsewhere. Yeah, I think like that, sometimes it is difficult as fans to understand that. And we've experienced that with Kilgallen there the last two weeks. But it is a business. It's a professional sport. They, you know, as I said, there's no real loyalty. If, not, at least you're not rewarded for that loyalty. If it's McCluskey's decision, yeah, but if it's financial because they have to cut wages and then Ulster fans can realistically look at Conor Murray who is falling down the pecking order in terms of scrum halves, supposedly getting a topped-up contract because they don't want to reissue him a, a central contract, I think they could be right, rightfully aggrieved if that's the case. If McCluskey says, look, 
the money's on the table here. I want to try something new. Like Wesley said, I'm fighting with Osborne. I'm fighting with Frawley. I'm fighting with whoever else, Kyle Ford coming through in the next while. You know, yeah, fair enough. But if it is the fact that Ulster are trying to cut or have to cut because of financial stuff, you know, it's one thing cutting a Pinar, but cutting someone like McCluskey, who you brought through, who's local, who has been playing and who has doubled or even tripled the amount of Irish caps they've had in the last two years than they had in their entire career. I think that would be that would leave a very sour taste in my mouth if I was a fan. Yeah, especially because Farrell does like him. Like it's not like he's okay. totally like Farrell does in, like he's always been involved in some capacity or always gets a few games. So yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's you're trying to keep everybody happy, it's a nightmare. But uh before I wrap up, I did tweet during the podcast about the, our debate and our poll and so far we've twenty. It's only twenty-two votes, but it's seventy-seven percent said try and get the win, twenty-three percent said take the draw. So look, at, I've given it a day. We'll, we'll check back in a day uh, and see. Um, but yeah, interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll, hey, we'll, Sam, you suck. Well, when when I voted on it fifteen minutes ago, sixty-five percent with what I voted on after six votes. So who's uh, who? Yeah. The annoying thing as well is I can't even vote in my own poll because I created it. So uh, I would have voted, obviously, trying to get the win. Your various other boy, burner, burner accounts. Burner accounts. Yeah, yeah my, all my Munster hatred accounts uh, that yeah, I have. Rumour has it you are uh, three Red Kings. Oh, wow. That would be the term for the books, wouldn't I? Uh, I'm not. I can't confirm. Uh, all right. We'll wrap it up there, lads. Uh, longer episode today because uh, we did have a good out debate, but um, we'll be back next week. Uh, we have some ERC back action. Uh, Car- uh host Cardiff. No. Nope. Uh, which Scarlet's. Nope. Scarlet's. Apologies. Like wrong. Wrong Welsh team. We said uh, we'd forget about the Cardiff game, but I didn't mean literally. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, can we do that one again, please? Uh, yeah sorry we welcome Scarlet so uh, we'll be back to talk URC next week lads appreciate it as always we'll catch you then night night